Well, we are wrapping up our stewardship series this week, talking about mission. Because when we talk about what it is we are giving to as the church, we are giving to the work that we all are called to do together. And so we began a few weeks ago by talking about love God, which forms the core of who we are, which opens the possibilities that we didn't think were possible. Because through God, all things are possible. And then last week we talked about what it means to be a neighbor. Jesus doesn't just want us to love our neighbors, but Jesus wants us to be a neighbor, which means showing mercy to those in need. And the way Jesus meant it, being a neighbor calls us to love and serve all people, regardless of their background, regardless of whether they are part of our group or not. And so we are wrapping up this series with this third part. It's part of our mission to welcome all to the table. This line actually comes directly from the Disciples of Christ's mission statement. We welcome all to the Lord's table as God has welcomed us. So it comes directly out of our identity as disciples. But it also speaks to something that I hear around here a lot. That every Sunday we gather at the table and we announce to the community and to the world that this meal is ready and prepared for us and all are welcome. And so as we wrap up this conversation about mission, about who we are as a church and how we aspire to live God's good news to our neighbors, we are ending with this table because we gather around a table which brings together God and neighbor in a relationship that is transformative. What this last part for me begs us to think about is how do we tell the world what we know to be true? So let's listen to our scripture, which is from the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tested by Satan. And he was, in, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God 
in saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. May God bless this reading. All right, well, in, when you go to seminary, uh, you learn that there are basically three roles for ministry. And as disciples, one of our beliefs is that we are all called to be ministers. And so I figured I would do a quick rundown of the different forms of ministry that we are all called to. Um, the first form that the Bible outlines is the priestly role. These are the folks who take care of the liturgy, who do the rituals, who prepare the sacred place for worship. Sometimes these folks can get a little bit stuffy and stuck in their ways, a little too concerned with the way things ought to be. But at their core, what they are trying to do is to say to people, turn your attention to God, notice God, know the creator who is faithful. So this role is very important. And the second role is the pastoral role. And the term pastoral actually comes from pastor, which means like a shepherd, somebody who watches after sheep. And so you see the pastoral role in Jesus' ministries to those who are on the margins, to those who are in need, to those who feel like they are outcasts and need healing. In the Bible, there are folks with skin disorders. Whenever the Bible says leprosy, it means some kind of a skin disorder. Jesus ministers to those who are paralyzed, those who are facing the persecution of their communities. Jesus ministers to them by being a pastor, by showing care and compassion. And so you can already see where this is going a little bit. Uh, when we say that it is our mission to love God, that is very much a priestly ministry role. We can go about our lives, after all, not thinking twice about God. But we know that through worship and devotion, our eyes can be open to the one who is faithful. And then you get to the second part, the pastoral role. Showing love and mercy and compassion to those in need, which is basically what the Good Samaritan was doing. So when we say be a neighbor, we're talking about being pastoral. Just as the Samaritan wanted to make sure that the man on the side of the road was taken care of, that he received care, we know that we are called to be pastors in our community. And so there is one more role. I said there were three. And that is the role of the prophetic. Ministers are called to be prophetic. The Bible is full of all these folks who are called prophets. Sometimes we think of prophets as, as future tellers, as forecasters, but that's not exactly what the Bible means when it talks about the term. The, but when the Bible talks about prophets, it, it really means people who tell the truth. And generally, you become a prophet because you tell the truth in a world that doesn't want to hear it. And so there's a, a biblical scholar named Walter Brueggemann who says that prophets are folks who are so at home in their tradition that know the scripture and the promises of God so well that they can point out the incongruities between how the people of God ought to be living and how they are actually living. 
And so prophets announce things. They proclaim things. And in our scripture for today, John was very much a prophet. He went out to the outskirts of town, to the River Jordan, a place that had high significance in the history of Israel, and started proclaiming this baptism. And he spoke of what was to come, the one who was to come after him. Was he predicting the future? Or did he just know that God was faithful? That the scriptures said that God would not abandon God's people? That scripture testified to a God who would come and act in our behalf? And so prophetic ministry is like this. It involves an announcement. It requires that folks say there is good news and that they then find ways to tell the world about that good news. Sometimes it requires people to say what is wrong with the world, that change is needed. Martin Luther King Jr. is a great example of an American prophet. He knew that in God's kingdom, there wouldn't be separations between the races. And so he spoke against the segregation and racism in America. Which brings me to another thing about prophets. Um, they're not always or often popular. Martin Luther King Jr. was not popular at the end of his life because what he was saying, he was calling the people, us, to repent of the ways in which we had caused divisions. And so as we get to the end of this sermon series about mission, we are going to be talking about the final role that we are called to fulfill, the prophetic call. And for us, I think our prophetic call as disciples revolves around the table because we know that God has prepared a table. We know that God has welcomed all people to that table. We know that in God's kingdom, the divisions that we see in the world, whether they be because of gender or sexuality, race or ethnicity, economic status or physical ability, those divisions will not exist in the kingdom. And yet we also know that they exist in our world. And so if we know that there is a table with an invitation extended to all people, then it's up to us to announce it, to speak prophetically to a kingdom that is different, that is full of life, that is breaking in now. And part of Christianity is this prophetic proclamation, as in we proclaim to the world who God is, as in we tell to the greater community about a love that knows no bounds, about a creator who cares for each of us, about a kingdom where all are accepted and loved and welcomed. And the way disciples have talked about that is by talking about the table. This thing that sits at the center of our worship and beckons to each of us. And I don't think we can underestimate how important this is in our world. Uh, the Barna Group, which is a research agency that does uh, surveys related to young people in the church a few years ago posted a study in which they asked folks why they didn't go to church, young folks. By the way, this study is from 
I said recent. It was from 2015, which somehow was eight years ago. Um, but recent-ish. But what they found was they asked people about, you know, is it worship style that keeps you from church? Is it the way the music is played, all of that. And some people that was true, but those were actually really, really low on the list. But what they did report was this. Substantial majorities of millennials, people about 40 and younger, who don't go to church, say they see Christians as judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual, and insensitive to others. And it's just a reminder that we live in a world in which folks don't know that there are Christians who don't judge people based on their sexuality. Where Christians don't question science but embrace it as a compliment to faith. Something as simple as welcoming women into leadership, which we do here in church. We don't just tolerate the presence of women. We encourage them to step up and lead and pray and preach like God intended People don't know about a church where we understand the kingdom to include folks from all backgrounds and races and ethnicities and even other religions because we believe that God is love. We believe that the kingdom is the aim of our lives and a key to living a good life and that in that kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so we seek ways to help folks struggling with houselessness and hunger and poverty. So when we talk about why we exist, it's to give money to mission programs that help serve folks in the world. We serve at the fresh market. We do Jubilee Christmas every year. Why? Because God wants us to proclaim the good news. You know, it's been said that the church has a PR problem. Disciples say this all the time. The world really could benefit from what we have. And I don't disagree with that. That's why I'm still a disciples minister. But I I don't think it's a PR problem as much as it's a prophetic proclamation problem. For us as a church, saying that we welcome all to the table is drawing on our history as disciples. It's part of who we are, the identity of our movement. To welcome all to the table as God has welcomed us. And it's also a declaration of who we want to be as a church. In a world where Christianity has been closed-minded and judgmental, not accepting of different folks with different views, we have set a table and have said, come on, there is room here. That's our vision. Every Sunday to say all are welcome. But with prophetic proclamation in mind, we have to ask who hears us. The folks gathered here for worship, those online, that's a good start. But who else needs to hear this message? Who needs to know about a God who loves them as they are, who welcomes them and accepts them as they are? And this is the thing with being a welcoming congregation that you have to explore ways of doing this. What message do folks in our community long to hear from Christians? And how do we proclaim it? As I read this passage, I thought, you know, I could get a nice camel skin robe, tie a belt around it and walk down to the Wabash. 
start calling people into a baptism. And we could actually get matching camel skin robes if you all want to come join. But there are ways of being in community, of being in our neighborhood, of telling to people, this is the kind of church that we are. A church that's accepting and inclusive and welcoming and loving. And so as we wrap up this stewardship season this year, we are finishing it by reminding ourselves that this new year we have a task. How are we going to proclaim what we know to be true about God's love? How are we going to proclaim what we know to be true about the extravagant welcome of the kingdom of God, about this table which is open to all? Because it's time for those folks that have been burned by the church, who have been judged and excluded by Christians, to hear a different way to be people of faith. For that list of folks in there who see the church as anti-homosexual and judgmental and hypocritical, they need to hear from us that there are Christians who love them as they are. And so every Sunday, we have a table set. Every Sunday, we present this meal and invite all people. So as we consider our pledges for this upcoming year, I hope you will also be in prayer about this mission statement, about loving God, about being a neighbor. And also the ways in which we are going to proclaim that we are indeed a place where all are welcome at this table, in which we extend our welcome to folks in our community who need to hear from a church that loves them and doesn't condemn them, a church that accepts them, a church that believes that they are created in the image of God. So let us explore in this coming year how we're going to make that a reality. Will you pray with me? O holy and gracious God, you are good. You are a God who has met us in so many places where we have been lost and hurt and struggling ourselves, and we know that you have found us there. So we pray today that you might put it on our hearts to proclaim to this community, to our neighbors, to those in need, the good news of a God who has come to be with us, who has welcomed us and loved us and accepted us. We pray, O Holy God, for this church as we enter this new year that you might continue to go with us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to preach and proclaim your good news to all who have ears to hear. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen.